Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. It's an honour and privilege to be ministering the Word of God to you tonight. I can tell you guys are ready, right? You don't need a warm-up, right? Yeah, all right. So let's pray and let's just believe together. So Lord, from the front to the back, the left to the right, thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Right now, veils coming off. I thank you, God, that you stir our hearts tonight. We're going to leave here shifted and changed, healed, restored, that you're going to do something fresh and new. We give our faith to it. We give our faith to it now, not just another Sunday night, but a moment in time that, Lord God, you gripped our heart and we thank you for it and we sit now, now in expectation. Go ahead and sit down now in expectation. All right. <clears throat> Actually, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a bottle of water because I've got this little illustration I wanted to give. So I see you've given me a glass and and you'll see that it won't work with a glass. <laughs> All right. Hey, tonight I wanted to share with you the importance of having a healthy soul. Healthy soul. You know, we don't talk enough about our soul. But, you know, everything God wants to do through you is going to come through your soul. You say, no, it's going to come through your spirit. No, your spirit is being given by God. It came as a perfect package. It became perfect, whole, and complete. All right? The part of you that could be riding the brakes tonight is actually your soul your mind, your emotion, and your will. Thank you for that. All right. So it's just really important that we start thinking more about what's possible in our outer life is really governed by what's going on in our inner life. You know, some of you have had uh, more sermons than baked dinners or hot curries. Or, the last thing you need is another sermon. You already know far more than what you're presently doing. You know, a lot of your sermons are just same meat, different gravy, all right? It's just the same. But what you've got to realize is it doesn't become a reality until this inner life is capable of giving expression to what your spirit wants to do. So we need to pay attention to having a healthy soul. It's amazing how many people uh, lack the realization, wow, what's going on in my outer life is really determined by what's going. They're fascinated about the outer when they're not paying enough attention to the uh, inner life. So here's some good advice uh, from the Word of God. It's uh, taken from Isaiah 43, great fridge magnet. You probably know it well, but let's unpack what God's saying. It says, this is what the Lord says, forget what happened in the past and do not dwell on events from long ago. I'm going to do something new. It's already happening. It's already happening. Don't you recognize it? I will clear away in the desert. I will make rivers on dry land. Let's unpack what God's saying. He's saying, well, first thing you need to do is stop projecting your past onto your future. Stop pushing repeat on that, all right? Because 
when you're so distracted by what's happened in your past, you'll miss what's God doing in, in this present moment. You'll be so distracted. You'll be staring at what God is bringing to you in the now, distracted by what's happened in the past. And the fact that we may not recognize it tells us that the new thing that God's doing may not necessarily come in a sensational way. That's why you're going to miss it. You're, you're expecting something with lightning coming out of the end of people's fingertips and da-da-da-da-da, whatever. But God's saying, I'm doing it now, and you're staring right at it, and you don't even realize it because you're so distracted or you're so into thinking it's going to come in this spectacular, sensational way. But God could be coming to you in the small, still voice of your friend talking to you over a cup of coffee. God just spoke to you. You think, oh, no, that's my friend. No, actually, they're a messenger and they're saying something. Uh, or it could come to you on the words of a sign you're driving along and suddenly you see this sign that says, wrong way, turn back. And you missed it. That was actually God saying, you've been praying this morning. Oh, God, speak to me. <laughs> and you were so distracted you didn't realize there's that sign. Or he has you stuck in traffic for ages behind a personalized number plate that says, let go. God, speak to me. I'm stuck in this trap. Let go. Right there, in your face. All right. And so all this we can miss when we're looking at the present through the lens of the past. Through the lens of the past, we think something happened and we call it rejection. But God says, look again, it wasn't rejection. It was redirection. You, you don't recognize it, but I was redirecting you. you still calling it rejection. It was not. It was a redirection through the lens of the past. We think, oh, my hopes and dreams have been buried. But God said, no, no, that's not what happened. I took the seed of your destiny, buried it in the dirt so it could be transformed into something amazing. I had to bury that seed first before it could become something different. The end of the world of a caterpillar is necessary to give birth to a butterfly. Oh, we're crying over the caterpillar. God says, listen, guys, I'm doing something here, okay? And through the lens of the past, we think, ah, oh, that's, that's it. That's the limit. That's the border of my possibilities. And God says, that's not the border. That's a new horizon. You're staring at a whole new horizon. So, so really these verses that we've just read are about God desiring to bring change. Would you stop thinking God is reluctant? Well, you cop having a prayer life where you're sort of arm wrestling this reluctant God. You made that up. You're arguing with a God you made up in your head. He's, not, he's more keen than you are. Right? So what's really going on is God's ready. He's already doing stuff. He's saying, actually, the issue is you. Your problem is you are so whipped up about this and that, you can't even see what I'm doing. So God's desire to bring change, but the question is, are we in a place to even recognize it? All right, so, so it turns out that the change that we're hoping for isn't entirely reliant on God. 
we have a part to play. It's not automatic pilot. Actually, we, depending on the condition of our souls, can restrict what God is wanting to do. So it's not just all reliant on the will of God. If it's the will of God, it will happen. Ain't necessarily so. Because if he can't find a healthy soul to get it done through, it's strangling it. It will suffocate it, all right? So it's also reliant on us being at a good place to respond. And so this brings us to why change, real change, is such a struggle to us humans. You know, it's not that we lack the desire to change. I want to change. I believe I'm going to change. And so the altar call is made and we make a rededication of our commitment to our dedication of our commitment to our dedication of our commitment. And God says, all right already. I get it. You're very sincere and and legitimately uh, you are. But if you don't listen to what I'm trying to say tonight, it's got nothing to do with your spirit. It's got everything to do with your soul. And so we need to direct our attention to where the real work needs to happen. There's nothing wrong with your spirit. It was given to you by God. What, did he give you a brumby one? What is he, uh, you you know, he's breathing spirit into everyone. You're down the end of the line. He gets to you. He's out of breath. It's like, rip off. Sorry, I just got a puff. Oh, geez, just as well you weren't sitting too close for that part. All right, so we need to realize where the restriction is and where real change has got to actually happen. So we're sincere. You guys, we're sincere about change. It's legitimate. We're not bunging it on. We really want this. But God actually points to where the real issue is The only part of you that can really change is not your spirit. It's your soul. It's the only part of you that can really, apart from sadly your body, as you get older, that part changes too. But the disciples came to Jesus and said, listen, help us out here. He'd asked them to pray. They couldn't seem to manage it. And so they come to him and said, what's up with us? Why can't we do it? And here it is. Here's the scripture that really helps us. And look where Jesus is pointing. He doesn't look to them and say, yeah, you guys are punches slackers. You're not really, you need to dedicate your dedication to your commitment of your dedication. No, he tells them what, he answers their question. What's wrong? Why can't we seem to do this? He says, you know what? Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Wow, he just helped us out. He just told us where the real work needs to come. He's looking at your spirit and saying, I can see that. I can tell you're willing. So we're going to look through this window of wisdom to unpack what Jesus was really telling us. So let's, the only way we can really work it out is to go back and discover when he used that sort of language, what did he mean? Because remember, you're reading... uh, a translated book. Your Bible's a translated book. It wasn't, you know, falling out of heaven written in English. It uh, was uh, originally written in other languages 
and to find the intended meaning that what did Jesus mean when he said what he said? We have to go back into the original language. And this word, when he said, but your flesh is weak, what does that mean? Well, in the context he's using it, he's referring to your soul. He's referring to your soul. So really what he's, because it means the frailty of human nature or your soul. So here's what he's really saying. You know what? Your spirit is willing, but your soul is weak. And the word weak means lacking in strength. Your spirit's fine, but the part of you that's lacking in strength is your soul. So, so what Jesus is bringing to light here is that the struggle to change our lives is not because our spirit isn't willing. It's a lack of strength in our soul. And so what's the soul? What, when the Bible talks about your soul, what's it talking about? We go back to the first reference in our Bible of this word soul. It's taken from Genesis 2-7. The Lord formed the man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the ruach, the breath or the spirit. That's God-given. That's where you got your spirit from. He breathed in the and... What happened? Man became a living soul. So the Bible's simply saying when you're a living soul, you're just a living person. That's, that's a person, all right? Your soul is who you are when you connect together your will, your mind, and your body into a single expression. When they all line up, mind, emotion, will, body is in a singular, that's a healthy soul. That person, when there's alignment and harmony and it's all flowing together properly, that person is a healthy soul. And that's what the Jewish people were blessing you with when they spoke shalom over you. Had nothing to do with your spirit. Had nothing to do with God. What they were saying was, may you know peace through alignment. No disharmony in you. Everything is in its place, doing what it's created to do in right relationship with God. That's shalom. And the feeling we get when we, our soul is in shalom is peace. All right. So notice the distinction between spirit and soul. Your spirit is willing, but so he's drawing a difference. He's pointing here and then he's pointing over there. All right. And so, as I've already said, the Ruah, the Spirit of God, is the breath of God. There's no such thing. I know we use the terminology, but it's incorrect to say anybody in this room has an immature spirit. Cannot be done. God did not give you an immature breath. It's time you stop saying that and realize there's nothing wrong with your spirit. God did not give you an immature spirit. The part of you that needs work and can be immature is actually your soul. That's where a maturity needs to come. All right. And so when Jesus spoke of a person that could gain the whole world but lose their soul, he's meaning more than just heaven when we die. He's also referring to the condition of your soul now because the word lose means to damage or injure. You can gain the whole world, he said, but to get it, you're going to have to injure your soul. You're going to have to fracture. 
You're going to have to be dishonest. You're going to have to pretend. You're going to have to be an imposter. Sure, you'll get it. But it'll fracture you. It'll injure your soul. That'll be the cost. So, So Jesus is saying gaining all these external pleasures of the world is useless if it's going to fracture your soul. So when we put it all together, the disciples come to him and say, why are we struggling to do what you've asked us to do? He says, listen, without question, your spirit is willing, but the problem is your soul lacks the strength to give expression to your spirit's willingness. And so perhaps we have made the mistake of thinking our struggle is spiritual when in fact it's got to do with our soul. And, and it's not that we are insincere about changing. It's just that our spirit wants to do lots of things that our spirit, that our soul lacks the strength to do. All right? And this is the problem because your soul, your, your will, your mind, your body is the bottleneck through which your spirit flows. And that's where I needed this bottle of water and why this would not have worked with a glass. <laughs> because the que- without question, there's water in this bottle. But here's the real question. Can it get out? And it can't. Why can't it? Oh, there's no water in it. Oh, yes, there's water, but it can't get out. Because the only way it can get out is through the bottleneck. And your soul is your, the bottleneck of your spirit. It must pass. See, I could be up here with all this revelation I've got in my spirit, but my mind is engaging right now so I can talk to you. My body's engaging so I can express it to you. Imagine if I had all of it locked up inside me and I couldn't get it out. My spirit wants to do lots of things that my soul can't facilitate. It can't cooperate and so we're, we're confronted with the fact that anything our spirit commits to do can be cancelled out by our soul. Because regardless of what our spirit wants to do, it needs the integrity, the alignment of your mind, will, emotion, physical body to actually get it done. So we're confronted with the fact, everybody, that we can't go anywhere in life unless our soul is strong enough to support what our spirit wants to do. How many destinies and visions and passions of God have been taken to the grave of people because they just couldn't get it out. They just couldn't get it out of their soul. And so these insightful words of Jesus pinpoint where our struggle to change really comes from. So if we make everything a spiritual issue, shaka-kaka, we just pray in tongues long enough or whatever, or we prophesy. Listen, I'm a Pentecostal to the back teeth, all right? I'll, I'll shunder with the best of you, all right? So, but listen, <clears throat> we can prophesy. We're going to take this city, and we're going to, ah, yeah, I saw the Lord in a picture, and it's all real. That's all spirit stuff. But if you can't even get out of the car park without being an offended, it ain't going nowhere. It's just no going nowhere. I'm leaving. I'm leaving this church. Well, there you go. Your soul. Don't tell me that's spiritual. That's you. I got offended. I'm leaving. Well, there you go. Your soul aborted yet again what the Spirit of God wants to do. All right. And so if we don't get this sorted out, see, honesty 
is not spiritual, that's soul. You know, <laughs> obedience, faithfulness. Faith, spirit, faithfulness, follow through. I said I would and I will. That's not spirit, that's soul. I turned up on time. That's not spirit, that's your soul. I said I'd be there and I came. That's not spirit, that's soul. All right. And so if we're not paying attention to this, we end up just being a bunch of super spiritual Christians whose weak soul lags so far behind what our spirit wants to do, very little gets done. But man, can we prophesy. Shaka kaka, amen. And you know what? It's God. It's God that Jesus said, that's, that's your spirit. It's very willing, but... What's letting us down is something else. I love this verse in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. I love, I love this, this guy. He's a great leader. And I love what he says here. You know, you know when you're getting something more than it seems when you can almost get emotional when you read this, and I, I can. He says, so we built the wall. This is Nehemiah, if you know the story. They turn up at Jerusalem. The enemy had broken down the walls. They're now building these walls again out of rubble. And wow, they're just really giving it all they got, working bees, and it's all going. And so he says, we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height because the people had a mind to work. Did you hear him mention God in that? No. He said it got done because the people had a mind to work. That's, that's not spirit. That's soul. He's already settled the spirit issue. God spoke to him. This is the intention of God. This is the will of God. He was commissioned by God. It was all God's plan, but he said it actually got done because of the strength of soul of the people. Otherwise, it just remained this nebulous something that never really happened. The people had a mind to work, faithfulness, commitment, follow through. They're not spiritual issues. They are soul issues. And so from our willing spirit, we can sincerely say, we're going to live godly lives. And your spirit is saying the truth. It is. But if you don't have the strength of soul to even handle a word of correction without getting all bent out of shape and withdrawing, spitting the dummy, going home, then our weak soul is shutting down what the Spirit wants to do every time. And you could be thinking, well, I thought, I thought this was spiritual. And if we were spiritually strong, then we could overcome all issues. If you know anything about church history and study the lives of, of men and women, you'll know it was their soul that often let them down. It was their soul, tragically, but true. It was their soul that actually let them down. And their voice was taken from the earth why? Not because they weren't called and destined and appointed and gifted. No, it was his soul, a weak soul. Look at what it says 
uh, here that the primary battleground is actually our soul. It says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. I love the fact the Bible addresses Martians, people from other planets. It says, aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. There's a war against your soul. The reality is most of our problems, challenges and temptations are mental and emotional and, and, and issues of the soul. And so the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, translates to if we can't get it together, then it never gets out. It never gets out. So how does your soul become weak? Well, our soul becomes weak when it gets fractured. If ever you watch contact sport, different football and stuff like that, if they catch the ball wrong, they might dislocate a finger or a thumb, it immediately becomes weak until they clock it back in, all right? Or, or you know, the shoulder pops out or something like that. And, and so it's out of alignment, and so that part becomes immediately weak until it's back into alignment, all right? Well, your soul becomes weak when you fracture it. Your soul becomes weak every time you lie. Because yeah. for me to lie to you convincing, I've got to fracture myself. I've got to get my mouth and my face saying something that I know is not true in my heart. So to do that convincingly, I have to fracture myself. I have to dislocate my soul to do that. Uh, my soul's weakened when I act different for this person and this person and this person and this person and I'm one person here in church, I'm another person at work, I'm another person with my friends and you think you're getting away with it but you're fracturing your soul. You're injuring your soul to do that. That's not integrity. All right, my soul's weakened when I project acts of kindness on someone while secretly emotionally punishing them for not giving me what I want. I'm fracturing myself to do that convincingly. So I end up with this fractured soul, mind, body, spirit, no, mind, body, mind, will, emotion, disconnected. And instead of being a whole soul, I have all these different compartments. That's why we end up with these suddenly, what? We find out this person had one set of values in their sex life, one set of values in their finances, one set of values, and we were going, had me convinced. Yeah, but they fractured their soul. That's how they managed to do it, all right? And Jesus said, yeah, sure, you can have it, but you'll have to injure your soul. You can lose your soul. And the longer your soul stays fractured, the weaker it gets. The longer that arm stays out, it's getting weaker and weaker. So how do we strengthen our soul? Well, we reverse the process. You know, this, this world that you're a part of is is putting pressure on you to fracture yourself. It is, morally, in so many different ways. You leave this building where truth is declared and you go into a very different environment where you're expected to fracture yourself. That's considered to be successful. 
some of the parties standing there, everyone talking. Everyone knows this guy is telling lies, but it's just the way that it is. It's, it's the performance, all right? So, so I'm going to give you a couple of things to restore strength to your soul, but I'm telling you it's an ongoing maintenance. You being here tonight is part of you strengthening your soul. Clunk, clunk, clunk. You've heard garbage all week and you come in here and you sing songs of declaration of truth. You listen to a word. Hopefully your soul's going clunk, clunk, clunk. You go to, uh, what do we call them here? Connect group, or cell group, whatever. And somebody's sharing a testimony. You think, that's right. They're being honest, they're being true, they're sharing. And your soul goes, I, I haven't been like that for a long time. I haven't been that transparent about my struggle. And so your soul is getting some adjustment. Let's talk about a few things we can do. Number one, we can tell the truth to God, ourselves, and others. Look at this verse, it says, Before I confess my sins... I kept it all inside. My dishonesty devastated my inner life, causing my life to be filled with frustration, irrepressible anguish and misery. The pain never let up. For your hand of conviction was heavy on my heart. My strength was sapped. My inner life dried up like a spiritual drought within my soul. This is a guy who's not being honest. And because he's living as an imposter with fear and dread that one day he'll get found out, his soul is very disconnected and weak, all right? But when you start telling the truth, your soul, it's like if you've ever gone to the chiropractor or a physio and clunk, oh, that feels good. No, that feels better. It feels so right. It feels so good to be honest. No, I messed up. No, that didn't work out. No, that's not how it happened. It's good. It's good. And please stop thinking that God calls you to give up your sin because he's upset you broke his rules. No, that's not what's happening. Every time God's forgiving you for, for breaking his rules, what does that tell you? That he values his relationship with you more than you keeping his rules. Well, that's what forgiveness is. God's saying, yeah, you did mess up, but I love you and forgive you. What does that tell you? You're more important. So it's not, it's not that he's upset. It's that he knows you're vandalizing yourself. That's why he's upset. He's watching your beautiful soul get vandalized by your lifestyle. And of course, of course, He's not pleased with that. It's not about you breaking his rules. He's not that intimidated, all right? But when we openly acknowledge that, it just has this beautiful way of restoring strength to our soul. You know, people around us all the time are telling us their soul's fractured. You hear them say, I feel like my life's falling apart. What are they really saying? My soul's fractured. I can't seem to get myself together. I can't get my act together. I feel like I'm falling to pieces. What do they say? I'm a fractured soul. All right. So telling the truth, just coming out and speaking the truth has this marvelous effect of restoring strength to our soul. Number two, 
Your soul will be restless until you let it come home. <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty eight. Listen to Jesus. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and you will find rest to your soul. There it is. Not your spirit, your soul. That's where you're going to find. You know why you're going to find? You know why Jesus is the only one that can make that sort of promise? Because he is home. He is home. When your soul comes home to God, it finds rest. You know, your soul is doomed to be restless until you let it come home. Take it here, take it there, take it into relationships, clubbing, this lifestyle, that it refuses all counterfeits. It's going, no, nope, this ain't home. No, nope, this ain't home. No. Nope. Take me home. You know, your soul knows where home is. It intuitively knows where home is. Home is the presence of God. Why is that home? Because that's the where it all got started. It, your soul recognizes its creator. It says, I know. I know who my creator is, and this isn't him, this isn't him. That's why we feel, you know, for the uneducated, we call it the presence of God. What your soul is recognizing when it feels that is home. We call it the presence of God. No, your soul's going, for me, this is home. Home, I'm safe. I don't need to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I'm, I'm accepted for who I am. I'm home. I don't need to pretend to be someone else. That's your soul. So you've got you to bring your soul home into the presence of God again and again and again. And only you can do that. God can't drag you home. You know why? Because can you think of the enormous risk that God took by giving you a free will? You know why he took that risk? Because he wanted your yes to be real. And the only way he could make that yes real is to give you the ability to say no. Otherwise, it's not real. The only way he could get your devotion to be real was to give you the ability to rebel. That's the only way. That's why we know it's real. Because you could easily reject and walk away. So God is wanting us to go first. You bring your soul home. You're going to have an opportunity to do that in just a moment if you're here and you've never done that. That's what's happening inside of you. Your soul is longing to come home. That might be what drew you here tonight, even though you were invited. And why do I want to go to this church meeting? Your soul intuitively knows where home is. And God's waiting for that. You know, we love the parable of the sower. I'll get the singers and musicians to come back and help me know, sorry, the parable of the prodigal. I love that story. And Jesus tells it like this. It wasn't... Until he got to the pig pen. He's this good little Jewish boy now feeding pigs. I mean, Jesus was just going there. You know, <laughs> people would have gone, <gasps> a Jew feeding pigs. Yeah, Jesus is making it as gross as he could. <laughs> Freaking them right out. And it says, 
that he came to himself and said, you know what, I'm going home. What the heck am I doing here? I'm going to go home. But here's the thing. When he started to walk up the driveway to the home, the father springs up off the veranda and down the road. But the boy went first. The boy went first. The father, he, he didn't run to the pig pan, right? He actually waited. God's waiting for you. Why doesn't he just burst into my life and just, no. If God's real, he'll just make, no, he won't. Because the only way your worship can be real is for you to give it to him. If he took it, it would cease to be real. Your soul knows where home is. So when we bring it all together, how do we strengthen our soul? We tell the truth to God, ourselves and others. We, we let our soul find rest by bringing it into the presence of the one that gave it life. But perhaps you're sitting here and you're still sort of thinking, I'm not so sure where my soul got fractured. You know, you can, in, I know this may sound different, but according to Jesus, you can be a Christian and still have a lost soul in the sense that it still has not been healed properly, that it's carrying some woundedness, that it's still carrying a measure of fracture, all right? And so... If you're anything like me, I lived with a fractured soul for many years. And for me, without realising it, why I did that, not deliberately, it's just that I wanted the pain to stop. Just wanted the pain to stop. So I worked out, I can make it stop by fracturing my head and my heart. I can do that. And it did, it stopped. But then I wanted to feel again. And I couldn't. I stayed in that fractured state. Or maybe you figured out a long time ago that people wanted you to be a certain type of person. So you gave them that person, but you fractured your soul to do it. And you haven't been yourself for years. You're living with a fractured soul. Or others here... Tonight, the fracturing of your soul has gone so deep, you don't even know why you do the things you do. You're just triggered by stuff and even you're wondering, why does this bother me so much? And that's where in order for our lost souls to be restored, we need some help beyond ourselves because there's mystery there. We can't, we can't point to anything. We just know this ain't right. This is not quite right. And that's when we turn to the Creator. What's that verse in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. And what does it say? He restores my soul. See, He reaches straight past everything else. Oh, but it's, I need this and I need that and I need money and I need healing physically. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to go right to where the real issue is. It's your soul. Your soul was in pain long before your body was. 
Many of you in this room, your soul has been in pain so long, it's now manifesting in migraines and back pain, neck issues, all sorts manifesting in your body. And when your soul gets healed, guess what? I've seen so many people have their back healed because they were carrying a burden and now because their soul was healed and there's no longer a burden, their back pain just simply goes. All sorts of things begin to manifest in the body because the soul has been healed. And when we're in the presence of Jesus, we're in the presence of their healer. There's no arm twisting with God. If you give him your yes tonight, he's just going to rush into that. He's not going to be doing an inventory. I don't know. Did you get up at six o'clock this morning and pray? And have you done? No, no, none of that. There's no transaction here. This is grace. This is mercy. This is the goodness of God. So come on, why don't you bow your heads with me right now? In fact, why don't we sing that song, guys? Right now. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me.